Saving money on your outdoor project? Now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at Menards. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fin side. Welcome back, Dolphins fans of baseball. This is Paul Pickin welcoming you to another episode of On the Fin Side. Most of you already know you can catch our show out on YouTube, iTunes, Spreaker, as well as keep up to date with us on Facebook and Twitter. But we've got some really exciting stuff to share. We actually got approved. We're out on iHeartRadio now. You go out, search for Dolphins, make sure you click follow. Give us a little bit of support over there. We'd love to have it. But enough of that shameless self-promotion. We've got another great guest today. He's been a regular guest for us. You know him as the former host of the Finsiders, currently covering all your South Florida sports need over on 790 The Ticket, the man himself whom we're always happy to talk football with, Mr. Greg Likens. Greg, hope you're not all talked out on Dolphins with all these hours you're putting in over there. How are you, man? I'm doing great, Paul. Good to be back on the Finside. Congrats to you guys on the iHeart development. And yeah, always good to talk to you. And certainly, I'm, I'm guessing all the fans agree that we're just a week and a half or so away from training camp getting going. This is a great time of the year as we're going to finally hear the pads start popping again out in Davie. I know we've had a lot of talk out of the preseason workouts and things like that where they're running around without the pads. You know this, and I know this, and I know a lot of our listeners know this, but there's there's usually a lot of heroes of the padless days that tend to get shaken out a little bit once those pads come on. Anybody in particular you're keeping an eye out on from, from the spring practices as opposed to uh, once the pads come on here? Yeah, I mean, really, when it comes to that criteria, it's always the interior line play. So, you know, whether it be offense or defense, I mean, one of the guys that I'm going to be looking at very carefully, and I think all Dolphins fans will be zeroed in on, is, is Charles Harris. Because, you know, so far, we've heard so many great things about the kid. He's done everything he's supposed to do, seemingly both on and off the field. And all of the players that have spoken about him have said, man, that first step, that explosiveness, it's as advertised, but as we all know, I mean, all these guys look good when they, they can't hit each other, they don't have the pads on. So I, I'm going to be curious, especially early on in training camp when they have their first padded practice and then early in the preseason, if he continues to live up to the hype as their first-round draft pick. Certainly, I love the fact that uh, it's been well advertised now. Armando Salguero had an article about it. He reached out to Jason Taylor. Uh, I'll be curious to see if the two of them have worked out together in the time the offseason workout program uh, was over and, you know, coming up on training camp. But uh, I think that so far Charles Harris is passing all the uh, grades with flying colors. Uh, But when the pads come on, that will be the real test for him, at least early on in his rookie year. Just sticking to the defensive line since we're talking about them real quick. I know we just discussed Charles Harris. How do you see that defensive end position shaking out? Miami went out and they got Hayes. Obviously, Cam Wake's going to be a very solid addition into that rotation. And then they re-signed Andre Branch to that big contract this offseason. How do you see that playing out? I know we've talked a lot about it, but I'd love to hear your take. Yeah, I would assume that you've got your two starters in Cam Wake and Andre Branch. And then depending on uh, you know Matt Burke and what he wants to do defensively, I would assume that on running downs, you mentioned Hayes, that's going to be your guy. I mean, that's his specialty. But I think on other passing downs, Charles Harris will be in the mix. And 
I think they will not make the same mistake they made a year ago where early in the season they had Cam Wake on a rep count and they only had him in on specific downs. And, I mean, Adam Gase, I think to his credit, openly admitted that that was a mistake during this offseason when he looked back on how they handled Cam Wake. So I think Cam Wake's going to be playing a lot. Andre Branch should play a lot considering that contract. And then they've got a couple of specialists in Harris and Hayes who they can utilize at their disposal appropriately in the situation. I think the real question will be who emerges besides those four. And Terrence Fide, I think he was a nice story his rookie year and being, you know, the first Marist Fox ever drafted. But his development, I don't think maybe has gone as quickly as we would have liked. So I think this is a big training camp for him to see if he makes the team and what kind of role he might have. Other than that, we could see some players like a Julius Wormsley and I don't know, some other players that maybe we don't know their names yet emerge to try to get in that mix. But I think really Wake and Branch and Hayes and Harris should be your mainstays of that position. Looking right next to them, I know we had a lot of question marks going into the, the training camp. Jordan Phillips is a guy that a lot of folks have said, you know, he's got his ups and he's got his downs. I keep going back to uh, the Vontae Davis conversation with Jeff Ireland years ago with the, you know, we, we need to see you right here. You're, you, there's too much here and too much here. We need you to level out right there in that middle and, and be consistent. And I know they went out and they drafted two big, big, big athletic defensive tackles. Do you see this being the year that Jordan Phillips finally has that light switch come on, similar to what Paul Solii had early in his career before he really solidified himself? I certainly hope so, and I think it's well documented. I mean, the kid has all the physical tools. I mean, he's a supremely talented athlete. I mean, the guy's a freak. The question will be, like, does he get his head straight? I mean, that was the knock on him coming out of Oklahoma. Could he consistently put forth the top-level effort that made him a great player? Because, you know, in college, he he was here and he was there, as you were describing. I mean, I hope for the Dolphins' sake, Jordan Phillips doesn't have to call his grandmother like Vontae Davis did. (laughs) (laughs) But but in a more serious note, I mean, this is going to be the time. I mean, what was the first move the Dolphins made this offseason, essentially, was to get rid of Earl Mitchell. So they cleared the way for Jordan Phillips to start alongside Indomitian Sue and for this to be his opportunity. I know Adam Gase preaches – competition at every position but really they have put the starting job and a bunch of playing time on a silver platter for Phillips and it's time for him to step up to the plate because other than him you have Nick Williams who's got a few years experience you've got the two draft picks which you alluded to and Devon Godshaw and Vincent Taylor but I don't think you can expect those two guys to play large roles in their first year so I mean to me this position is all about Sue and Phillips Whoever develops behind them could be in the rotation, certainly will play a role. But if Phillips doesn't seize this opportunity, I don't know if he ever will. And I think this is going to be a huge year for him. Looking just behind those guys, and I know we're sticking a little bit to defense here, but I know defense was a huge question mark for us due to injuries last year, due to personnel, due to depth and things like that. I know by the end of last season, it it almost felt like there was one linebacker on the field and a couple of bodies, Kiko Alonso being out there. Uh, I know Mike Hall had his shining moments. Miami went out and addressed this position fairly heavily in the offseason, bringing in Timmons, getting Rake McMillan, supposedly Koamisi taking a little bit of a pay cut and coming back healthy maybe this offseason. What do you see in terms of this linebacking core and the differences that we're going to see in 2017 versus last season? 
Well, I think you're going to see a lot more toughness in that linebacking core, and hopefully that also means durability because, um, as you, you just mentioned, Paul, I mean, that, that was the downfall is that they couldn't stay healthy. But the toughness certainly should come from Lawrence Timmons, and he has been proven to be durable over the course of a, a very, very productive career. I think Raekwon McMillan brings that toughness as well. We saw that uh, out of Ohio State in the second-round pick, high expectations for him. So, Misi, yes, they restructured his deal. He'll be back. But I think we all kind of assume, and you know, unfortunate for him, he's a good guy, but we assume he's going to get hurt at some point, whether that's early on or later in the season, it seems inevitable. So, I think McMillan is going to have to play a role. And I really like the toughness of that new trio, if you believe that Timmons, Alonzo, and McMillan are your guys there. And I liked also the, the discussion – during this offseason about them kind of being interchangeable. I mean, we're so used to a middle and outside linebackers of Sam and, and a weak side linebacker, but I think that they're going to be pretty flexible there. And, you know, if those guys can stay fairly healthy and be your lead players, then Misi, as a guy who potentially is your fourth linebacker, he's still very talented. I like the development of Neville Hewitt and Mike Hall and those types of players as well. So, I'm hoping, as I'm sure everybody is, that they can stay healthy because even if they don't, though, I do think they've built up some depth there at that position. So to answer your question, I think it'll be a tougher, more durable group uh, in that linebacking core for the Dolphins. I'll avoid the safety position because I know we've talked about it in the past. I know, obviously, anybody that, that's not enamored with Rashad Jones being back and healthy is insane at this point. I know we already talked in the past about Nate Allen and T.J. McDonald. When you look at the corner position, now that they, they went out and they drafted Cordray Tankersley, uh, they already have Byron Maxwell, they've got Tony Lippett, they've got Xavier Howard. It really looks like there's finally a lot of talented depth. Four guys that could potentially start for you there. How do you see that really shaking out? I know there's a lot of reports of Xavier Howard already has one of the two locked down, and I've got to imagine Byron Maxwell has the other. Yeah, I, I, unless we see something different, I, I have to agree with that assessment because Howard certainly you know, had ex high expectations, unfortunately got hurt, but when he did come back, played well. And you know, Byron Maxwell seemed to really step up to the challenge after getting benched you know, at a certain point in the last season and then played much better after that. So you have to believe those are your favorites to be the starters on the outside. But Tony Lippett got great experience. Cordray Tankersley, I mean, if we we're to believe the reports, he's really a developmental project with a lot of physical tools that they're grooming uh, behind a Byron Maxwell, which is kind of ironic to pair of Clemson Tigers. One may replace the other in a year from now. But uh, I think those top three guys, though, you have to feel pretty good about. Now, my question is going to be, can Xavier Howard, and it might be a lot to ask entering just his second year, but can he take the strides that we think that after this upcoming season that, man, that's your lockdown corner. And they made a great pick in the second round out of Baylor, and he's going to be your guaranteed lockdown quarter for years to come. Hopefully he can take the types of strides that we feel confident in that because it doesn't seem, if you believe the reports, that Maxwell's going to be around much longer. So if you can solidify at least one side and then have some nice other pieces who are developing and will get playing time in the mix, then I think the Dolphins – are in a pretty good spot at that position. But knowing the injury history that we saw a year ago, uh, both in the linebacking core and in the cornerback position, uh, that, again, is going to be a huge storyline, whether these guys can stay healthy and whether those who have to step up to the plate uh, that maybe we weren't expecting a lot from, whether they can handle the load whenever they're called upon.
kicking over the offensive side of the ball then, I, I know one of the biggest stories before we even dive into the, the positions there, Jarvis Landry's contract. What's your tap-out point if you're if you're Chris Greer and Mike Tannenbaum? It, what's your tap-out point? I see everything from, on, and I know you see it out on Twitter too, from pay him whatever he wants to realistic expectations. I know there's a couple of guys out there like Antonio Brown averaging about $15 million a year over the life of his contract. What would be your tap-out point when it came to Jarvis Landry? Yeah, I mean, you're right. It has been all over the board in terms of people responding uh, to this. But if I'm the Dolphins and, and I'm looking at a player in Jarvis Landry who, again, let, let, let's put this a couple different ways. One, yes, is he technically a slot receiver? Yes, he technically is. But he does so much for this team, not just in terms of production and the numbers he puts up, but I do think there, and I don't say this about a lot of players, but I do think there are some intangibles that he brings to the table that you have to quantify to a certain degree if you're the Dolphins. And I think Adam Gates fully believes in that. I mean, there's a reason why Adam Gates was so lenient with him in terms of some of his celebration penalties and being emotional on the field because he brings that juice. And that's why, you know, that's that's part of his nickname, that he brings that juice that gets everybody going. So put some of the numbers aside, put some of the the stereotypes about uh, categorizing him as a slot receiver versus a wide receiver on the outside. I do think he brings something else to the table that helps his negotiating power. But with that said, you bring up Antonio Brown, you bring up Julio Jones, some of the other top Odell Beckham juniors. I don't think he's in that class. So if Brown's making $15 million a year, if I'm the Dolphins realistically, I think if you offer Jarvis Landry $12 million a year, that would probably be my tipping point if, if I'm going to go into negotiations with Jarvis. And the interesting thing is, you know, I, I wonder, I mean, his agent has set this deadline by the start of the regular season. If they stick to that, if he plays the entire season without that new contract and he's willing to be franchised next year, uh, I think it would be – advantageous for both sides to get something done now because there's no reason why the Dolphins wouldn't want to have him long-term with this team based on everything he brings to the table. I completely agree. And, and one of the thoughts that I have as well in terms of, of getting the deal done now, even though he's under contract for the season, I'd, and I'd be curious to hear your take, is once you get Landry under contract, and it's going to be a big contract, whether he, he gives some super team-friendly deal where he says, you know what, I'll play here for $10 million a year for the next five years or if it's something where he's looking for much higher than that in the Antonio Brown-Julio Jones territory, it lets Miami really dive into their long-term planning as far as what their payroll is going to be in terms of cap space. So they can start looking even more heavily and realistically at the Devontae Parker potential for an extension. Yeah, I agree uh, in that it's a big year for Parker as well, and it's, I think, just generally a big year for that wide receiver position we could be looking at that trio if Parker lives up to the billing. And I think physically he's got all the tools to do so of, you know, Kenny Stills, Jarvis Landry, and Devontae Parker being the mainstays at wide receiver for years to come. You know, I, nothing lasts forever in the NFL as, as we know, but at least the next three, four, five years or so, because they're all young, they're all productive and they all bring different things to the table. So I'm with you. I think it's going to be a, a, a huge year from an evaluation standpoint for Landry and for Parker. Stills is set right now, um, but 
yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out and the timing of whether Landry gets a deal before the season or not. That's probably going to be, if not the biggest, one of the biggest storylines during training camp and the different parties will be asked about it throughout the, uh, the weeks of training camp practices and media availabilities and be wondering, Hey, is something close with Landry? Is this going to be a distraction during the regular season or are we just going to play through it and wait till next year? Looking behind those three, obviously those three are your bona fide starters, regardless of the Landry contract, et cetera. You've got some intriguing young talent, Isaiah Ford, whom they drafted in the seventh round this year, Jakeem Grant and Leonte Carew, who they drafted last year. Leonte Carew didn't really afford himself the opportunities to, to do something special last season, but I know Adam Gase came out and said he thinks he's figured out the ways to utilize Carew to have him contribute to the offense this coming season, as well as a number of potential undrafted talents that a lot of folks thought would have gone off the board somewhere between the fourth and seventh round of this year's draft. What are your thoughts for how things shake out behind the Dolphins? Obviously, they can't keep all of them. No, they can't, and you're right. I mean, for those who are kind of, you know, kind of nerdy about this, which I, I love looking at all the roster competitions, and, you know, for those casual fans, it's just about the headliners, right, the starters you spot. I, I like looking, you know, down the depth chart to see who could potentially be, you know, the 52nd or 53rd member of the roster and whether the Dolphins will keep a six-wide receiver or, or stay at five depending on how the personnel shakes out. So I'm interested in this, and you mentioned some of the names. Certainly this is going to be a big show-me training camp for both Carew and Grant in their second years. Certainly last, uh, last year wasn't a very good one for Leonte Carew when you consider that an undrafted player in Rashawn Scott was ahead of him on the depth chart and active on game days late in the season. So he's got a lot to prove. The interesting thing about both of those second-year players is that both of them were very open about the fact that they were disappointed in themselves in their rookie campaigns, which you don't often hear, but I think Adam Gase has created and fostered an environment where these guys are more outward with how they're feeling about things. So I think that's good. I think a fire's been lit under both of them. Uh, you mentioned Isaiah Ford. He came on strong at the end of the offseason workout program, and I thought he was a very good player at Virginia Tech. Drew Morgan, the receiver out of Arkansas, turned a lot of heads in the off-season workout program. So those are some of the names to keep in mind. Uh, but certainly, if you're the Dolphins' front office, you want and hope that Leonte Carew steps up and impresses everybody because you, you gave up a lot in the draft to move up to get him. So I think that's really the name everybody's going to be focused on outside of the, the top three guys to see if he can live up to the hype based on what that they, they gave up to acquire. Kicking inside a little bit, looking at the offensive line. I know it seems to be a topic of discussion every offseason. We talk about Mike Pouncey's health. We talk about can Miami, is this year Miami find some guards? I know we've got Tunzel and Juwan James sandwiching the, the outside of the line, but everywhere in between there's question marks. Pouncey, when he's healthy, is one of the best centers in the NFL, but you and I both know it's a when he's healthy question mark at this point, similar to the discussion we had about Koamisi. And then the guard position, there's a lot of, possibilities and potential and maybes surrounding it. What do you think about this guard position? How do you see this this shaping up as the preseason wears on? And I know it's just early speculation. 
Yeah, part of it, I do think, and this is not a cop-out by any means, but part of the guard position's effectiveness, I think, will be impacted by the health of Mike Pouncey. So if he can get on the field and play a majority of the season, the guards are going to look a lot better, right? Because, we've, as you pointed out accurately, everyone feels confident in the abilities of Laramie Tunzel and Jawan James. But to get to the actual players who are going to be part of this, you would assume assume Jermon Bushrod is going to be one of the starters. The question is, who's the other one? Is Ted Larson, who, you know, I don't think any of us know a ton about. I mean, of course, coming from Chicago and was one of their free agent acquisitions, is he going to be the guy? Does Isaac Asiata, of all the rookies, is he the one with the best opportunity to play right away? I don't know. And will one of those other guys who are kind of categorized as a center, maybe an Anthony Keene, a Craig Urbic, who can shift to different positions across the offensive line, will they win things out? Getting back to the point we made uh, in the first question about what you're looking for once the pads come on, I think the offensive guard position is going to be definitely under the microscope in terms of seeing how they perform, when they can actually hit people, when the pads are on. Uh, But there's a lot of names that we're kind of throwing around that I don't think any of us really know until we see them perform on the field. And I would ideally like to see them decide on a group if they feel confident in them and try to build some continuity there. It might be difficult with the reports that Mike Pouncey is expected back for the regular season, but maybe not before that. So uh, that's going to be one of the big storylines as well, is to see between Tunzel and James, who are those three guys are going to be? Uh, and lots of question marks there. One thing that adds a lot of dynamic intrigue for me, and I know we've talked about the, the 52nd, 53rd man on the roster, is a lot of those guards have that positional flexibility to kick in and, and play center. You've got Urbic. You've got Steen. You've got Jake Brendel, who's more of a true center here and, and could outright win that backup job to Pouncey. He was definitely a, a much more lauded player than people gave him credit for and has the ability to pull from the center position, which isn't the most common thing out there on the market. I know it's something Pouncey's always done well. And then Ted Larson even has that, that positional flexibility. So really, you could see the, the depth at that guard position be something that shakes out based upon their ability to play center and how well they're able to, to take those reins, given Pouncey's health questions. For sure. And that's going to be, you know, a real test, I think, not just from the medical staff, but also from the coaching staff to determine where Mike Pouncey is. So you're right, Paul. I mean, we could see a scenario where early on out of training camp, they keep more interior offensive linemen than maybe we anticipated when it comes to the overall roster numbers. If Mike Pouncey is in serious question of not being ready to go. And we say that, one, because of uh, Mike Pouncey's injury history, but also, I mean, I was a little disturbed by the report that came out a few weeks ago that Mike Pouncey wasn't held out of the offseason workout program just because they were being extra cautious. He was held out because he wasn't medically cleared. So that became, I think maybe some assumed that, but that I don't think was ever uh, for sure from anybody. But, I mean, with Pouncey, you know, he's missed 17 games over the last three years, hasn't played a full 16-game season since 2012, just five games a year ago. He is such a talented player, a very good leader. They need him out there. But with all these questions, I think they're going to have to have other plans in place just in case with a lot of those names that you mentioned potentially being in the mix. Before I get to the, the most ire-inspiring thing out on Dolphins, social media, et cetera, for me, the, the running back position is pretty solidified unless they keep a fourth and who that fourth would be. 
the tight end position's absolutely solidified with Thomas, Fasano, and, and Gray. Then potentially maybe a, a fourth in like a Duarte. But is there anything you want to talk about in terms of the running backs or the tight end position? Or I mean, it, it's I think those are pretty much uninteresting topics because they're so solidified until the pads come on in training camp. Yeah, and I, I guess, Paul, I mean, I, I don't want to be uh, redundant or repetitive, but with all these, <laughs> I just hope people stay healthy. We know that's not going to be the case. It's just kind of a question of which positions take the hits different years. Every NFL team experiences it, but you're right. I mean, tight end and running back seems pretty straightforward. I, I guess the question would be how much of a workload will JHI get? And, you know, I, I really have high expectations, and I say this for a guy who's going to play, you know, kind of a, a complimentary role, but I have high expectations for Kenyon Drake to take another step uh, as a complimentary running back. Uh, I know Damian Williams is, is returning as well, but I, I, I like Kenyon Drake's ability to be explosive, to create the big plays, and we saw it in the return game last year, but I'll be interested to see how they utilize him more offensively uh, the upcoming season. You mentioned Damian Williams. I look at him and I look at Marquise Gray as those two guys that are in those roles that on a lot of teams may not see a lot of action, but the action that they get always seems to be some specialized, cool play that they just run so damn well and plays to their strengths so damn well that they really do still have that important role on the team, even if they're not up the depth chart barring injury. Correct, yeah, and I think, you know, Adam Gase has spoken glowingly about Damian Williams in particular, and you're right. I mean, those are the types of players that need to take advantage of the relatively small number of opportunities that they get. And I thought Williams did a great job of that last year, Gray as well. So uh, they're going to have to continue to do that unless an injury shakes things up. But I agree with you. I think the, the coaching staff last year, what we saw, not, not only big picture did a terrific job. Adam Gase uh, made a great impression in his first season, but also did a nice job of capitalizing on some of these guys' talents Maybe knowing that they're not the guy you want necessarily to be carrying the load at running back or a tight end, but utilizing their skill set to maximize uh, the way they can impact the game, even if it is for short bursts of time. All right, so I'm going to dive into the, the controversial topic, and I already know you know roughly what it is because anytime even the position gets mentioned out there on, on social media or what have you, somebody's ready to start throwing a bag of crab apples at you, regardless of which side of the fence you're on with it, with any of, of it. Looking at the quarterback position, Ryan Tannehill, all reports are he's back, he's healthy, he's got that brace, but he seems to be moving around great. I know they'll probably be a little cautious with him in the preseason as they test it out. One of the questions that I have for you is, is in terms of Matt Moore. Matt Moore is a player I like. I know We've talked a little bit on our show about the fact that those three or four games last season were really a microcosm of Matt Moore in terms of he's going to make those wow plays that benefit the team, and he's going to make those wow plays that tend to hinder the team at times. No one questions his leadership. No one questions the fact that the guy's a great guy. He's eating up more and more cap space out there, as, and he's not getting any younger. What are your thoughts in terms of when Miami needs to start putting a little bit of that conscious effort into the mid-rounds of the draft to potentially find that young player behind Ryan Tannehill that may need to unseat Matt Moore to help this team move forward? Yeah, I mean, I don't see that as a real pressing need for this team big picture. I think Matt Moore, 32 years old, he has a nice salary. Yeah. He has arguably what is the best job in the National Football League, and I'm not saying him specifically, but the backup quarterback who can make a nice living 
can avoid a lot of the big hits unless, you know, he appears in a playoff game against the Steelers. So <laughs> that was a, a tough <laughs> one. Uh, but, but you know, all joking aside, he's in a great spot, and he, he seems to embrace his role as being the guy who supports Tannehill. I don't see that as a pressing need. Will they eventually have to do that? Uh, sure. I, I think that that's something that they need to always be looking to the future, and if they can develop other quarterbacks, I mean, that's the – most important position in all of sports, I would argue. So uh, that's always something that should be top of mind. But I don't necessarily think when you look at how poor the defense played a year ago, giving up a record-setting number of total yards and different positions getting injured and the offensive line concerns that we talked about already, I think those certainly are more pressing than who's going to be the backup quarterback to Ryan Tannehill at this point. A fair answer. I just—it's one of those curiosity things because it starts to creep more and more every off season, and and I know it's one of those things that sometimes you suggest and 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 people definitely get uh into a, a we'll go with aggressive uproar uh, about the second it, it even gets mentioned, and, and we're talking on both sides of the fence here. But it, it's definitely good to see Ryan back this year. What are your expectations for him this season in his second year in Gase's offense? Well, I. It's hard to say in the sense that we don't know exactly how he's going to return. You can believe everything you want that all accounts, his teammates, coaches have said that he looks great. He says that he feels fine coming off the knee injury. Certainly, I think there are going to be different hurdles he has to overcome in his recovery process. So one of them, not just physically, I mean, that's obvious, right? When he takes his first hit to the knee, physically, how does it react? But also psychologically, I think that'll be good for him to get that out of the way. And so once he gets over that, if the knee is back to normal from a mobility standpoint, then my expectation for him would be to build on what we saw. And I think it was really disappointing timing. It's never good to get your quarterback injured, but it was disappointing timing that the Dolphins with Tannehill were playing their best football of the year when he got hurt. They'd gone on an eight-game stretch in which they went 7-1. and He was highly efficient and seemed to be coming into his own in terms of his command and understanding of the offense. He wasn't forcing things necessarily and was getting everybody involved. Certainly Jay Ajayi's emergence helped in that effort as well, but things were clicking and then he gets injured. And so then you take another step back. So my expectation would be assuming physically he's all right for him to build on that and to look even more comfortable in Adam Gase's offense and hopefully move closer to people being able to confidently declare him the franchise quarterback, because that seems to still be in question and rightfully so, because he's been inconsistent. But I think the combination of him and Gase, if last year before he got hurt was any evidence, uh, that is going to be a great combination moving forward. So, Greg, before before we wrap up here, just real quick, what do you see as the player on this team that not a lot of people are looking at right now that or may not be talking about that you think takes that next step this year and really surprise people that may not be thinking about him at all at the moment? Ooh, that's a very, very good question. Uh, I've got to think about that for a second because a lot of the guys that we've discussed, I think everybody is talking about, right? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> if, I had to, if I had to, yeah, I mean, if I had to look at two players uh, that I think have the ability to have breakout seasons, it would be uh, the two guys that we've already discussed, and that would be the, the, a couple of thirty-year players and Devontae Parker and Jordan Phillips. But we've been talking a lot about them. Otherwise, I think that perhaps considering the question marks about Phillips, uh, somebody from that other 
group in the defensive interior defensive line may be uh, on top of the list there. I'd say go either there, and I don't know which one, but I think you know between Nick Williams, Devon Gottshaw, and Vincent Taylor, there could be opportunities. And then also I think in the linebacking core, maybe a Raquan McMillan, because since the draft, I know that when you're a second-round pick, everybody talks about you, but since then we haven't heard much about him, but I do think considering Koamisi's injury history, he'll be on the field a good amount. So, yeah, I don't know. That's that's my roundabout way of answering your question there, Paul, as we get ready for training camp here. That's a fair answer. I know uh, I know you and I both – I know every offseason, like you've, you've mentioned before, we end up talking about not only the 50th through 53rd man on the roster, but also sometimes the 70th through 73rd player on the roster as we, we're speculating about some of the possibilities that they have. So. Totally fair answers on those, and and I'm curious to see another guy that I still project myself into into that possible defensive tackle rotation is a guy like Julius Wormsley, who you mentioned earlier. I liked a lot of what I saw from him in the preseason last year and when he did get a little bit of chance here and there, and I know he was a guy that they occasionally kicked to the inside. So he might be somebody even that, because of his positional flexibility, Miami may even be able to keep on and fill – two needs in terms of backing up Phillips and, and stepping into that role or occasionally jumping in at the defensive end role if there are injuries and for depth purposes. I don't know. How much have you seen a, a Wormsley out there? What are your thoughts on the guy? Yes, that's a good point because you're right. He made a very positive impression a year ago or so at uh, this time, you know, during the preseason. And I do think that same thought process can apply to both the offensive line and the defensive line, the positional flexibility, being able to move around. So certainly I think, I think he has as good a chance as anybody to, to make that uh, type of impression, you know, potentially make the team and, and be one of the role players, so to speak, who perhaps sees his role increase more than we would have anticipated uh, entering training camp. Before I throw one last question your way, I want to make sure folks know, know uh, where to follow you. I know you're out on 790 the ticket now. But I know a lot of folks are slowly discovering you've got your YouTube channel as well, where you get some of your thoughts out there to folks. Where do you want people to go to follow all your stuff that you got out there at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I think probably the first place you can go is Twitter, at Greg Likens, G-R-E-G-L-I-K-E-N-S. Follow me there on my Twitter account. There is a link to my YouTube page. So not only do I tweet out the links, but you can get to the, the, the page overall through my Twitter account. And then I usually keep that pretty well updated on when I'm going to be on the radio. I am on every Sunday from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. You can listen if you're in South Florida on 7 the Ticket, or you can listen uh, through their website anywhere in the world. Um, and then, yeah, Twitter, I, I keep things uh, pretty updated there, whether it be my thoughts or when I'm going to be on the air, when I'm going to be on the fin side, whether I'm going to be on my YouTube page. You know, it's, <laughs> that's, that's usually where you can find my information. Well, I know, I know I always like when I see you tweeting out that you're on the fin side because, you know, it's, it's, we always love having you on. I appreciate the time that you, you always give to us whenever uh, we get the chance to have you. So thank you again for joining us. Last question to throw your way here. What are your projections for the season as far as the record or really anything else? Well, I, I think we may have uh, touched on this in a previous conversation, maybe early, early this offseason before the draft. But, you know, I do think that the Dolphins – there's a distinct possibility, and I'm not the first person to say this. I know a lot of people have said this, but there's a distinct possibility that we could, from an eye test standpoint, watch this team and say they have made positive progress and they are a better team than a year ago, but we won't see the same win total. And they may not get to double-digit wins because, 
you know, they have the sixth toughest strength of schedule. Um, they've got an extra road game, so to speak, because they're going to London. So I think there is a possibility that though Miami won 10 games last year and the record might not get to the same double digits this year, we could be saying this is a better team. We like the progress under Adam Gase. However, uh, they don't win as many games. Will they still be on the verge of the playoffs? Uh, there's a possibility, but uh, it's going to be difficult if you don't get to those double-digit wins. So uh, that that would be my, my response is that this team could make great progress but might not make the playoffs like they did a year ago. I'm inclined to agree with you, especially when you look at the team as a whole. They're definitely, I don't think anybody can, a better team now, not just in terms of, of the starters, given the fact that they had so many piecemeal starters last year, given injuries, et cetera, but also the way that they've improved the quality of the starters and, and the experience that a lot of these guys got last year that they didn't have previously. But you look at this team really from last year, their depth has gotten so much better in just the course of last season and this season. So regardless of what the record shapes out to, I do think you're right. I do think they're a better team and they're going to be more comfortable and familiar with Gase's system. So great answer for me on that. I mean, I, I hope it does go into the win column total, but regardless, I think they're shaped up to be that better team, at least on paper. So Greg, hey, big thank you for joining us. I always appreciate it. Thank you again. As Greg pointed out, make sure you follow him out there on Twitter at Greg Likens. Make sure you follow our show on our new new home where we, we're broadcasting out on iHeartRadio or out on our usual links on YouTube, Spreaker, iTunes, and more. Follow us out on Facebook. Follow us out on Twitter at On The Fin Side. And on behalf of myself, on behalf of Brian Catanzaro, if it's not on the right side, it's not on the left side, it is on the fin side. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fin side. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fin Listen, Dolphins fans across the land all tuning in to see what Brian Cat and Paul about to do again. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.